You can be seated, and if you have a Bible, please grab it and make your way to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, this is on page 976 in the black hardback Bibles that are around you. Um, and so open up, because I, I want to show you several things in uh, that passage of Scripture. So make sure you grab a Bible and get it open to um, page 976 if you're in the black hardback ones. Ephesians chapter 1 in your own personal Bible. While you're getting there, I want to tell you, let you in on a little secret about something that that just kind of grates on me a little bit. And Sarah and I laugh about it sometimes, uh, but it just kind of grates on me a little bit. And it's when I see someone driving around in in a Bentley or something and they have a license plate and it says blessed, right? Or, or you see something on Facebook, on social media, and they're, you know, it's a picture of them, I don't know, skiing in the Alps or, or just something, you know, they're in, having tea in London, and it says, hashtag blessed. And it, it irritates me and, and kind of grates on me <clears throat> for a number of reasons. There's several I could, I could lay out and give you a whole list of things, but the biggest one is really just because it presents such a truncated view of what being blessed by God is all about. That, that the blessing of God is, is all about an expensive car or having you know, wads of cash to do things with that. When Jesus says that might just as well be a sign that you're actually hashtag cursed. <laughs> and so defining blessing along purely materialistic lines is not only biblically errant, but it's also robbing ourselves of the true and far better meaning of what God's blessing that he has poured out upon his people is all about. It's shortchanging the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of the blessing that God has poured down on us. And so as we come to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, Paul is going to explain to us what like is just an explosion of, of praise, like what blessing is, what the blessing of God is all about. And he just explodes in praise. And when we realize these blessings, we will not be able, we won't be able to help but to join in with Paul in an explosion of praise. And so that's what this entire section in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is all about. It's about praising God for His glorious grace. Praising God for the blessings He's poured down upon us. Now, the sermon today is going to focus on verses 3 through 6. But before we can get into that, I need to kind of till the ground a little bit for this week and like the next three weeks all together because it is important for us to understand that verses 3 through 14 is one thought. We're going to break it up, but it's, it's one thought. As a matter of fact, there's punctuation and whatnot in our English translations. But in the Greek, this is one like mother of all run-on sentences, right? Like if this was being graded, Paul's writing would have been, you know, fit... Teacher would have marked it up with all kinds of red. It's 202 words long, one sentence, no punctuation. And so it's just kind of like he just, I mean, he explodes in praise and clauses and are dripping out and left and right and coming out of his mouth and just, you know, he explodes in praise. And as you look at it, though, it really becomes kind of a poem, like a doxological poem, a poem that's about glorifying God. 
Because as you look at it, and this is what I want you to see, you begin to see this, this repeated, reoccurring refrain, like a chorus. <clears throat> and so look at your Bibles in verse 6. Actually, I'm going to want you to underline this so you see these recurring refrains because they kind of break the, the, the passage up into sections. <clears throat> so verse 6 you see, to the praise of His glorious grace. So underline that. To the praise of His glorious grace. And then in verse 12, you see, right at the end of it, to the praise of His glory. And then at the end of verse 14, you see that again, to the praise of His glory. And so you have this repeated refrain all the way through. And the poem really breaks down into three sections based upon those refrains. Because when you start looking at the verbs in each one, the tense is different. And so verses 3 through 6, if you look at it, the verbs there are all past tense. And so that section is all about praising God for what He has done. It's already, he's already done these things. And then verses 7 through 12, the verbs are present tense. And so it's all about praising God for what He is doing. And then as you get to verses 13 through 14, it culminates with the line, until we acquire possession of it. And so it's future. And so that's the outline for the next three weeks. It's all about we are to bless God. In verses 3 through 6, for what He's done. Verses 7 through 12, for what He is doing. And verses 13 through 14, for what He will do. And so let's read all that now with that in mind. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. All right, that's what He has done. In Him we have, present tense, redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. So again, praise of His glory, praise of His glory, praise of His glory. Verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And so all of this is what it means to be hashtag blessed. This is the blessing of God, not some truncated view. And so today we're going to dive in and look specifically in verses 3 through 6 at what God has done. And so why we should bless God for what He has done. And specifically, there's going to be three reasons we should bless God for what He's done. Past tense. And the first one is this. Bless God because we've been blessed in Christ. Bless God because we've been blessed 
in Christ. And so, like, if you look at verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. And then verse 6, To the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And so the first thing we do is we are to bless God because we've been blessed in Christ. And that's the, the title of this entire series, because you see it running all through this idea of being in Christ. We talked about it two weeks ago. This is what the book is about. It's all about who we are in Christ, our identity. That's chapters 1 through 3. And then how we are to live in Christ, our activity. That's chapters 4 through 6. And so this idea of being in Christ, and like we talked about two weeks ago, we, that, that's a big deal because who we actually are in and of ourselves is we are in Adam. Like when we are born, we are born into Adam. Not, we are not born in Christ. We are born in Adam. And as Adam was the first sinner, so we inherit a sin nature. We inherit separation from God. And the only way to remediate that is for us to be born again in Christ. Where on the cross, we trade places with Jesus. And He takes our sin and He gives us His righteousness. And that's what it means to be in Christ. What He has done becomes ours. And we are no longer in Adam. We are now in Christ. And so one of the best ways I think to, you know, get, or best ways I've ever seen this described is actually in A Christmas Carol. So you guys may know, you may not, you may have picked up on it by now. My favorite Christmas carol is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And when we sing that Christmas carol, well, when we sing it, we do, I'll, I'll describe Describe that in a minute. Most modern renditions of that song only have three verses. At Providence, we always sing it with four verses. One that the, the final verse is not sung as you know prevalent or prevalently, but we always sing the fourth verse. And the fourth verse captures this idea of going from being in Adam to being in Christ. Really, really well. So here's how the fourth line of Hark the Herald Angels Sing goes, not from a singing perspective. <laughs> it says, Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. Stamp thy image in its place. Now, this is not talking about the image of God, so don't get confused about that. This isn't like in the sense of the Imago Dei, something that every person has being made, being born with the image of God. This is more like, Lord, Adam's likeness, efface that. I don't want to be in Adam. Make me in you, in your image. Stamp thy image in its place. And so again, Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. Stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above, that's Jesus, reinstate us in thy love. That's what it means to go from in Adam to in Christ. And so hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. And so blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. And then Paul adds, even as he chose us, <clears throat> or back a little bit, who has blessed us in Christ with Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
I think what this is getting after is the idea of already, not yet. Like, I, we have already been saved, but we are not yet finally saved, right? We're not in heaven yet. All, that's, that's the life that we live. We, we live in an already, not yet paradigm. We already have aspects of heaven now, even though we are not yet there. And so, to kind of describe this, I think it's, it's kind of like, the, the, like peace <clears throat> in verse 2. Paul has already kind of laid down what some of these ideas or feelings of heaven already, but not yet. And so we have grace and we have peace. And this idea of peace, we already have it, but we don't yet fully have it because we're not in heaven yet. And the difference keeping this in mind can make in our lives is sort of like what happened to, uh, to John and Chad and I on our last section hike on the Appalachian Trail. And so we were, we were uh, in North Carolina, and so it was day one. They dropped me off at a place called Garen Flow Gap, and I hiked about six or six and a half miles by myself and then met them in Hot Springs, North Carolina. We had lunch. John jumped in there. We hiked about another six and, a six, six and a half miles. And then we met up with Chad at Tanyard Gap. And now we had to put on full packs. And so after walking 12 or 13 miles already, that pack that's about 30, 35 pounds weighs like two, feels like it weighs 200 pounds. Super heavy. And so we set off and we've got to do another five or six miles. Now it's getting late though, and it's primarily all uphill in the deep mountains all uphill, <clears throat> heading back in there. And so what begins happening then is it starts getting late. And so it starts getting dark. The sun's getting low. Worse than that, it starts raining. And so you're hiking, you're hiking, and, and I, I want to hurry, hurry up and, and, and get us there and get food going and whatnot because it's not fun to set up stuff in the dark and that sort of thing. So I tell them, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook. I'm going to book it a little bit, so I'm going to go on. So I go on, and I'm hiking. I'm looking for this shelter, looking for the shelter. Can't find it. Can't find it. Can't find it. And I'm thinking, you know, it's got to be right here. So I go, come around a curve, still not there. Come over a little hill, still not there. Come around this bend, still not there. And so now I'm really starting to get a little bit worried because it's getting dark. It's raining. I'm now separated from them. I can't see them. They can't hear me shouting in the woods. I'm separate. And so I'm beginning to wonder, did I miss it? Did I walk past it and I didn't see it down there? But all I can do is just, just I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. It's getting darker, the rain's coming down harder, come around a bend, finally, I see it. And when I see it, like, oh, okay, it's all right, I, I'm safe, everything's going to be okay. I was not yet under its roof, but the moment I saw it, what was my reaction? Relief, peace. That's the idea here of this already not yet paradigm. Like God does not promise us in our life that we'll never have to walk through dark and rainy woods. He doesn't promise us that He's going to make the trail easy. And we're not going to have burdens that feel like 200 pounds. Because in this world, trials are still here. They always will be here until Jesus comes again. So disease is going to come, finances are going to be hard, jobs and relationships will remain difficult. 
And sometimes what we are supposed to do next remains uncertain. But in Christ, we are already at the shelter. Even though we are not yet under its roof, we're already there. And there's relief in that. There's peace in that. And so, friend, in the thick of it, if you are in Christ, you're, you're going to be okay. And so keep your eyes on the shelter, even though you're not there yet. Keep your eyes on it, not on the rainy and dark woods. Christ has you. And so verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so we say, well, how can this be? How can we have this blessing that God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would bless us in Christ like this? I, I, I have blown it. I am such a screw-up. I am so messed up. How, how could this be? I've ne- I could never attain this. I could never earn this. Well, it comes back to the idea of being in Christ, going from Adam to being in Christ. And so Paul dives a little bit deeper into that. And so how can we be blessed like this in Christ? It's because we've been given Christ's status. And so number two in your notes, bless God. So we want to praise God because we've been given Christ's status. And so look at verse four. Even as he so blessed the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Friend, hear this encouragement. If you are in Christ, you have been blessed with the status of Jesus Christ. You have already been positionally chosen and placed and given, imputed Christ's holiness and blamelessness. He has put that on you. That status is now ours in Christ. And notice those two words there, holy and blameless. Because these two words describe very much what happens on the cross. Because on the cross, one thing was taken away from us. Our blame. And one thing was supplied to us. Christ's holiness. This is why we are holy and blameless before the Father. Because Jesus took our blame and He gave us His perfect righteousness. It was imputed or put on us. It's credited into our account. And so the holiness that God requires, He supplies for us. Not by our works, but by Christ's work for us. And so if you are in Christ, you have been given Christ's status. Is that not mind-boggling? Is that not a reason to bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because He doesn't treat us fairly? He, gives, he treats us unfairly. He gives us Christ's righteousness. And Christ takes our blame. So now we are blameless. But not just wiped clean. Now imputed, given His holiness. This is mind-boggling. 
And so that thought that creeps in from time to time that assaults you with accusations from the accuser. God, not me. I, couldn't, not, I have gone too far. I've done too much. The Lord couldn't possibly forgive me, couldn't possibly continue to love me. I've blown it. The Bible over and over from cover to cover wages war on that lie. And when we believe that lie, when you buy into that lie, here's what you're really saying. That you believe that your rebellion is more powerful than God's salvation. That your sin is more powerful than Christ's cross. That you have the ability to out the grace of God. Which in effect is saying that you are actually more powerful than God. And his cross might be able to save everyone else, but not me. I'm too powerful for that. That's what you're saying. Joe, you don't know what I'm, I've done. That's the whole point. It doesn't matter. Because it's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus did. On the cross... In your place, for the forgiveness of your sins. For our sake, God made him to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in him, you've been given his status. Like it's a done deal. It can't be taken away from you. Which is why the whole idea of predestination, we, we talked about last week, of being chosen before him, in him before the foundation of the earth, that whole idea is not something that a Christian should spend his time being freaked out about, but rather is something to simultaneously be humbled and encouraged by. Because as one writer put it, the whole message of God's love preceding our accomplishments and outlasting our failures was meant to give us a profound sense of confidence and security in God's love so that we will not despair in situations of great difficulty, pain, and shame. We remember, if we are in Christ, we have been given His status positionally. And now, we have the responsibility of pursuing that practically. Of Philippians 2, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so that's what Ephesians, and that, that idea of working it out, that's what Ephesians 4 through 6 is about. Here's how we are to live now in Christ. Chapters 1 through 3, who we are in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, how we live in Christ. But the genesis of all of that is that we have been given Christ's status. And that's how we can stand holy and blameless before the Father. And so number one, bless God because he's blessed us in Christ. Number two, bless God, praise him because we've been given Christ's status. And then finally, number three, bless God because we've been adopted through Christ. Okay, number three, bless God because we've been adopted through Christ. And so look at verse five. Actually, the end of verse four. In love, he predestined us. So again, like I said last week, you always link those words. Love and predestination go together. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons 
through Jesus Christ. You see that? For adoption to him. We were predestined for that. For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. There, it's that phrase again. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. You have been, if you are in Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. Now, this is the love of God towards you. Like today, all I want to do is scream at you that God loves you. He's given you his status, given you Christ's status, he's adopted you into his family. Through Christ, he has, if you are in, he has made you his child. He's your Abba, Father, your Papa. He loves you. And that's the whole goal of predestination. Again, again, don't get freaked out. Like, be encouraged by this. There's questions. We got that. We dealt with it. But be encouraged. Feel the love of God in this. This was God's goodwill and pleasure to adopt you as members into his family. And I want you to notice something here because sometimes I think we, we think like, well, Jesus, you know, he's really lovey-dovey, but the Father, he's very angry and he's out to get me. And we get this weird idea in our, in our minds. And I just want to blow all of that up because like, who sent Jesus? Who chose you before the foundations of the earth? Who, who set his affections on you before you before earth was even here. Who adopted you? The Father did this through Christ. But the Father did this. Why? Why did He do this? Because He was pleased to do so. Because He delighted to do so. And so again, instead of struggling with the questions of that this morning, I want you to take comfort if you are in Christ in this. That the God who chose you before time, when only He existed, will not leave you victim to the time and tides of your life. He is your Father, your Abba, and He loves you. And so for those who maybe struggle with the fear that, you know, at some point, we're, you're, I'm going to do something... So bad, so terrible that I'm going to lose my salvation. I'm going to slip in some way and I'm going to do something so bad and so terrible that I can lose my salvation. Or who, which you can't, and I'll show you that. Or it lives under the strangling grip of legalism that, yeah, he gave me that, but now it's on me to make sure I stay in, right? I better walk the line or he's going to kick me out. And I want you to ponder with me the reality of what adoption is. Adoption is an attitude and position which secures a child's identity in a new family. And listen to me, it's not a nullable. It's not a trial basis. God doesn't try it out on you. It's not a, hey, let's see if this works out. It is a done deal out of love. Remember, these words are all past tense. He has adopted you. And so we don't get kicked out of the family for bad behavior. 
We don't have to worry day to day whether or not we're good enough to be part of the family. And our Heavenly Father is perfect. He's not prone to headaches or temper tantrums. He's not a guy who's going to hold us one day and hit us the next. Our earthly fathers may have done that. Our Heavenly Father will not. He loves us perfectly. And in His infinite kindness to you, if you are in Him, His infinite kindness, He has made you a permanent member of His family. And nothing can undo the adoption that binds us to Christ because He did it. We didn't. So we can't lose it. He chose us. He set His affections upon us and He signed the adoption papers with His own blood. And so, friend, in Christ, be free of the fear of falling away because you are kept by God for God because He is your Father and He loves you. This is what it means to be hashtag blessed. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and is always there. It means you've been given Christ's status. It means you've been adopted into the family of God. And so may these short truths that we've talked about this morning come to you kind of like a, a shout from the sidelines in the midst of your wrestling match with life. Daughter, son, I love you. I always have. This is before the foundations of the earth. And so I never will stop. I can't stop. I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. I love you. That's a shout from the sidelines to you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, just blessed be you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as you chose us in you, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. And in love, you adopted us to yourself through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of your will, to the praise of your glorious grace with which you've blessed us in the beloved. And so we praise you and we bless you. And we're humbled because there's nothing we bring to this equation except our sin. There's nothing we can do except say yes. There's nothing that... I mean, we're so helpless in this and you've paid it all you've done it all you've given it all you've chosen to do so you've loved us with a love that's unquenchable and can never die 
that. We are humbled by this. And we just say bless you. Praise your name. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.